You are all going to die tonight. Welcome to Horror in Session, a podcast where a horror expert sits down with a horror newbie and goes over all of your horror favorites from past and present. I am your host, as always, Raina Cervantes, and with me, as always, is my wonderful co-host and student, Kyla. <laughs> Hello. What 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 is that addition and student? I like it. I think it's just uh, me leaning into the school theme we got going because I've really never really leaned into it. Right. Right. That's true. It's so like descriptive of, of me too, since I'm am in school right now. So you are works. quite literally a student. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got That's you got that. You got that Spotify and Hulu for $5. Literally, wait, no, actually I've been in school way too long and it just expired on me. So rip me. <laughs> they're um, like, anyways. you know, they're, they're like, you don't deserve this shit no more. <laughs> yeah. They're like, get out of school. What are you still in school for? I'm like, don't look at me. <laughs> so this is uh, the first episode of our Universal Classic Monster series that we're going to be doing most of the summer, aside from yeah. a few peppered like special episodes. Um, we're back. Know, we and just, yeah, it works out so well that you picked this one since, you know, the beginning song is Swan Lake, our theme for real before we dive into that though let's do a little housekeeping um what have you been watching this week besides what i assigned you i finally watched nomadland like finally and oh my god so did i <laughs> oh you did okay yeah i don't it's i just I haven't had time right i don't know mm -hmm. yeah i sat down with my mom and watched it because one night we were bored and it, i saw it was on hulu so i finally what did your mom think in. about it my mom loved it. Yeah. She like she really loved it. That's what I'm thinking. Um, I was like, I, what did you think of it? Yeah, obviously I thought it was a great movie. Like I mean, there's no denying that. I don't know if I felt a connection mm -hmm. to it though, personally. Yeah, that's that's how I felt. And mm -hmm. like I like the emotional beats it hits, but I'm just like I don't connect with any of this, but like uh the director the way she shoots it she shoots it like a like a semi-documentary mm -hmm. so it's like i was being educated like on this lifestyle yeah and then there's there's a bunch of non-actors too who are like that's actually them they actually are nomads so that was mm -hmm. like an interesting portion of you know what going off of what you said about it being shot like a documentary so yeah it was mm -hmm. it was, it was really interesting and yeah, it was a good. It was a great movie. I just don't know if I'll like think about it again. Uh, I was like thinking about like award season movies, and I think I'm reaching this point where like when movies get nominated for awards, like I'll watch them like that season, but like I never revisit them. Yeah, like a lot of them are one and done movies for me. You know, I keep thinking about Minari, though. And so I thought I was going to watch Nomadland and be just like everybody else and be like, yeah, that's the best, best picture of the year. That's best director of the year. But now I just keep thinking about Minari. And I, my pick for best picture is probably Minari. And I'll, I'll, I'll go back to that movie. I'll revisit it, I think. I haven't seen Minari yet, but, um, but so of good. the best but of the best picture nominees I've seen, um, 
which aren't many. I think my favorite so far is Sound of Metal. Yes. See, I keep thinking of that one, too, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one that I keep thinking of, too. But that's because, like, you know, I resonated a lot with that one, like, growing up, like, playing in metal bands and losing my hearing and whatnot. Um, yeah, definitely. I just, I, you know, and I haven't, I don't have that connection with it, but I still think about it a lot. Like, you know, like that movie has not left my brain, but I was watching Nomadland and it was like leaving my brain as I was, mm-hmm. as I was watching it. Yeah, it was just like seeping out the other end of your head. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if, you know, I don't know. I just don't know how I feel about it. Like, that. Did- did you see her previous film before this one, The Writer? No, how is that? I haven't seen it. That's why I asked. Uh, no, I, I, I do want, I, you know, I'm not doubting her skills or doubting that this is a great movie. I just don't see it maybe as the best picture winner. I don't, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's like, don't you dare say that online either, by the way. <laughs> right? Like, I feel like that's like the popular opinion. Like, oh, yeah, no, Madeline's going to win best picture, well, whatever. But well, to be fair, it is like kind of a landmark nomination Um, being that she's like the first like woman of color and like the second woman period to be nominated for best director. That's yeah, it's that's pretty huge. historic. It's pretty huge, you know, and. But you're like, but does she deserve it? <laughs> I'm not saying does she deserve it. I think she does. I think she deserves it. I'm uh-huh. just saying personally, if I was voting, I would probably vote for Lee Isaac Chung, Minari, or Sound of Metal for Best Picture, personally. Uh-huh. But that doesn't mean I don't think Chloe, if Chloe won, like she wouldn't deserve it. Like I do think that movie does deserve it, and she does deserve that. That um win i i personally know though i wouldn't i just i just find it super odd like kind of wrapping back around to minari real fast that like i saw minari was up for best picture correct um yeah it's so weird that like thomas vinterberg is up for best director for another round but another round got nominated for foreign film rather than like best picture like period i thought we were like past this like hurdle of like oh foreign and best are like separate categories like i was really hoping parasite would have opened the door to like a lot more of that yeah i you know i agree with you i i feel like another there's some another movie that could have been exchanged for another round um oh there's like three i've seen on that best nom list that i'm like toss that out and throw another round on there yeah, but I guess it just does make sense with like what the other voters voted for for the other nominee categories, like Marini's Black Bottom and The Trial of the Chicago Seven did get a lot of like acting noms, and you know another round didn't even get Mads Mikkelsen in leading role, um, which I was surprised by. So I guess it does like kind of make sense with the rest of the nominations. Yeah, but like Ma Rainey didn't get Best Picture. Um, oh, it didn't. It did- okay. No, it didn't get it. So, so I brought up a list while we were talking about it. Is the it the best father that got it? The best picture noms this year are The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago Seven. Why is Mank in there? Why is I, The Father in there? I'm not going to say which movies, but there's like three on that list that I like instantly want to throw out. <laughs> I just threw them out. Oh my gosh, are you guys going to cancel me? Um, 
What? I yeah. And the nominees this year are super super weird. Um, like they're super great, and then there's like two in each category that you're like, what is what is that doing there? <laughs> I mean, to be fair, like fucking nothing released this year. Mm. Well, that's not true, but like Argue. you get what I mean. I mean, mm. I guess, but I just like it's hard, you know, like to say like nothing released this year, and then we have like this monumental year for diverse films Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. and so like what does that say about what is choosing to be released and like um what wins or gets nominated in a year like this you know Mm -hmm. is it um i know dive like they have a new inclusion and diversity um initiative at the oscars this year and i don't know if that's affecting this year's nominees or it's the fact that there's not other white contenders that could have been in these spots because of the lack of Yeah, did movies. the white filmmakers get all their movies delayed so that so they that could they get could... proper theatrical releases? Yeah. And if more white contenders would have been here, would the Oscars have voted more white people? I don't know, you know? I, 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 I guess the only way we'll know is like next year with like yeah. theaters opening up and like kind of the pandemic slowing down but not really um it'll be be interesting to see um it'll be jarring to see if it goes back to all mainly all white people it's so weird to see so many like acting noms for movies that like didn't get nominated for like best picture or anything it's so weird Mm -hmm. like uh like maria bakalova for uh borat Mm-hmm. Um, Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman. Then you got um, Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami. That didn't get nominated. Yeah, it's it's. I think it's it's nice to see. You know. Yeah, yeah. It's very it's very just like going with yeah. what people actually think than people being like, oh yeah, that's the best picture nominee, and we're gonna Ma- nominate Ma- the best actor and the best lead. Okay, yeah. just my biggest problem with the Oscars this year is like Mank has like ten nominations, and I was like, Jesus Christ, why? Yeah, I've heard a lot of qualms about that. I actually haven't seen Mank yet, but I did that, not hear that- anything good. Listen, I love David Fincher movies and whatnot, but man, that movie fucking like did not last with my mind like at all. Jeez. And I and love Citizen Kane. Yeah. Yeah, like it's super cool concept. You think I'd be into the movie more, but I fucking wasn't. Um Yikes. that better be up for best score though. I gotta double check that. It is that nine, Atticus Ross, that, right? Or whatever. And Trent Reznor, aka yeah. Nine Inch Nails. Yes. They're nominated for two this year. They're also nominated for uh, Soul. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, people always forget. I'm like, yeah, Nine Inch Nails did the score for Soul. (laughs) (laughs) I know, you were hyping that up. I remember that. Oh, the the score, okay, the score for Soul is so fucking good. Like, both of them, like, both of the scores, because there's also the jazz score uh, that's done by um, John Batiste. And oh that yeah, one's super wonderful. Um, and then you got the electronic score done by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Both are just fucking phenomenal. Um, I don't want this to pivot to a Nine Inch Nails conversation because I'll just sit here <laughs> and talk about them all day. <laughs> they're, they're like legit, like one of my favorite groups of all time. <laughs> I love that. Oh my gosh, this is so exciting for you then. Yeah, really exciting. I'm like, fuck yeah. <laughs> 
um because some you of the film some... scores uh-huh what what were you saying oh sorry i was about to pivot and and congratulate you for for your awesome episode on horror queers oh yeah i did do that this this week it finally uh was released uh for those of you that don't know, Horror Queers is a podcast on the Bloody Disgusting Network. I just recently guessed on their latest episode, uh, focusing on Silence of the Lambs. And uh, it was it was a blast. Um, I mean, I felt like I feel like half of it was me gushing about the idea of a Hannibal season four with like Elliot Page as uh, Clarice as a trans man, which I'm like, oh, oh they should do that. <laughs> I agree. Oh my gosh. I still haven't gotten a chance to listen to it yet, but I'm super excited about it. I've heard so many good things about the episode, how like some people are like, this is one of your best episodes yet. So I am so proud of you and excited for you. It's good. It's good stuff. Very grateful that I was asked to be on and kind of give my thoughts about how I feel about that complex movie. Um, being trans and all, you know, everybody knows Silence of the Lambs. And yes, we do. And so- I'm glad you got to speak on it. Yeah, and some people think it's a perfect movie and that it's immune from criticism. And I'm here to tell you that no film is immune from criticism, except the first Fast and the Furious. <laughs> um, that's pivoting to what I watched this week real fast. Um, I just I, I watched uh, Fast and the Furious one and two. Um, yeah, and how do they hold up? Uh, so the first one holds up exceptionally well. <laughs> I love that damn movie. Um, two is it's more the same so uh if if that's if that's what we're where we're at this week why don't we just uh dive into the movie well first off let me let me pause a second before we dive into our movie this week let's have a quick word from our sponsor folks do you love movies the good ones even the bad ones everyone told you not to like it sounds like super yaki is the place for you the team at Super Yaki loves movies so much they've dedicated every waking moment of their entire lives to bringing you top quality merchandise to showcase your love for them. From super soft t-shirts advocating for the immediate production of a third national treasure to comfy sweatshirts that serve as a call to arms for all those in support of making Judy Greer America's lead. They even offer top quality enamel pins of some of your favorite directors like Sofia Coppola and Jordan Peele. Super Yaki joyously brings you wearable love letters to the movies and filmmakers you love. Plus, the team at Super Yaki screen prints all their apparel using eco-friendly, 100% water-based inks and ships using compostable poly mailers for an environmentally friendly alternative to online shopping. And as a special gift to you, listeners can save 10% on their order with code SUPERSESSIONS, all caps, no spaces, at checkout. If the spirit moves you, find them at superyaki.com. That's S-U-P-E-R-Y-A-K-I.com. Let's Let's watch watch more movies. The film we're covering this week is The Mummy from 1932, directed by Carl Freund and with a story by Nina Wilcox Putnam and Richard Scheer. The film follows an ancient Egyptian mummy named Imhotep, who is discovered by a team of archaeologists and inadvertently brought back to life through a magic scroll. Disguised as a modern Egyptian named Ardith Bey, Imhotep searches for his lost love, who he believes is reincarnated into a modern girl 
The film stars Boris Karlov, Zita Johan, David Manners, Edward Von Sloan, and Arthur Bryan. Death, eternal punishment for anyone who opens this casket. The mummy, is it dead or alive? Human or inhuman? You'll know, you'll see, you'll feel the awful, creeping, crawling terror that stands your hair on end and brings a scream to your lips. There's nothing on earth like the mummy. You will not remember what I show you now, and yet I shall awaken memories of love and crime and death. So, Kyla, um, I know you like like your idea of the mummy is the 1999 Brendan Fraser one, correct? I don't know. I haven't seen the mummy. Oh no! I don't know why I thought you did. <laughs> I don't know. I've been on but the ride. Um, <laughs> that's I may your exposure caught, to the mummy. <laughs> yeah, I may have caught bits and pieces when I was like little on TV mm-hmm. of stuff, but I don't. I don't really know. I don't have any idea what mm-hmm. the, about the money, the mummy. <laughs> I, I I feel like the public's like general consensus right now is the 1999 mummy, like this big bombastic like action film almost. That's very uh, true, and I do and, remember the trailers for the Tom Cruise one. That's what I remember. Oh, the IMAX one that was like all silent except for his screaming. <laughs> yes, I do remember oh. that. <laughs> it was like ah, <laughs> that was great. Um, so so. With those expectations, like going in, what were your thoughts to this particular like story? Um, I I know it must have been like almost like shell shock with how slow this particular one is. Um, no, I was actually amazed at how contemporary it was. Yeah, I think it exceeded expectations because I just was so entranced by these characters from the start. And I think that's, you know, when I go into an older film, I I know that it's going to be a bit slower. And for me, this was really fast paced for me and very contemporary um, in my eyes because of how character focused it was. Um, and yeah, I was just I just love these characters from start to finish. They were so fun to watch. And I don't necessarily like felt I didn't necessarily feel that way about all of the characters in the other universal horror movies we watched um so yeah I really liked it I this is like the first the best um universal horror movie I think we've watched so far really I'm like that low-key kind of astounds me I think I'm like an outlier when it comes to this movie because I find this movie dreadfully slow really yeah, honestly, out of like most of the Universal movies, this is one of my least favorites. No which, way. Yeah, like like it's only 73 minutes and I feel like it takes ages to get going. You think it's just, it starts from the beginning and he's like he's out of the coffin like in the first 5 minutes, 10 I minutes. I don't know. I don't know if I'm not into the the whole motif of the movie. Like whether I'm into like Dracula or Frankenstein and the way that does gothic horror more. Um, 
I, I don't know this movie is just it never really has like landed with me to the point that like this last time watching it this week I fell asleep like three times attempting to watch this movie <laughs> I feel it I mean you know I don't know I just felt like Dracula and Frankenstein are very you know they have very hidden personalities they're very hard to figure out mm-hmm. um they're not they're not like us humans, you know, and that's the point, though. Um, mm. And then to see, like, Imhotep and, you know, what's her name? The girl? Helen? Yeah, and, you know, for Helen and Imhotep, like, they have such big personalities. And mm. I was really drawn to that, I guess. I don't know. Fair enough. Fair enough. No, that's a super, super interesting, like, reading for – a for like a first time like watch i i dig that um this is like one of those few universal like horror movies early in the day where like they had no source material so th- th- i guess theoretically you could say this is like universal's first original horror film because think about like the two the three that came before this the three main ones you had phantom of the opera which is based on a novel dracula based on a novel and frankenstein based on a novel the mummy wasn't based on a novel at all in fact it was inspired by the events of when they discovered a tutacommon's uh tutacommon's uh sarcophagus in the early 20s and um there was like this urban legend surrounding it that when they opened it it like opened up this curse of the pharaohs on everybody who dug it up so um so universal kind of ran with that idea and created this original horror concept for it that's interesting. I didn't know this was their uh, first original movie, like for horror monsters. That's really fun, though. I don't know. I think the commentary is very interesting because, um, on one hand, they it does seem like they are trying to shed light on, you know, that we shouldn't touch these properties that aren't ours these people things and their bodies that like they were put there for a reason like why like we wouldn't go into like somebody's grave and be like let's dig it up for history you know so why are we doing it you know in other countries um Mm -hmm. like this this aspect of colonialism and um yeah and like the british going over there and taking their stuff so but then on the other hand there's this you know like is there is there like blackface in this movie is are these are did i notice some like white people with that are have darker skin like 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 brown face going on in this movie yeah mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, um well boris karloff a lot of people don't know he's actually half uh indian oh okay mm-hmm. i didn't know that mm-hmm. yeah um but, but then yeah, was it the yeah. servants that are like those are mm-hmm. white men Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah problematic for the time yeah for, so for, it's for it, nowadays it's, too yeah yeah it's interesting that you know there, there's this commentary like against you know the white people coming into egypt and taking their things and then there's also <laughs> it's, al- it's almost on. like it's almost like a theme of like colonialism going on um with these outsiders coming in and going like no this is mine now i i yeah. found this yeah, and it's very interesting for them to be discussing this at 
the time that they were because I felt like I feel like back then they they don't really highlight that as much as they would like now like I didn't even know about that when I was a kid and learned about you know mummies and stuff like that I didn't know that how Mm -hmm. problematic that was did you Mm -hmm. when you were a kid no it's not something that was ever brought up or 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 talked about really not until I got older and really looked at it through a different lens Mm -hmm. so it's interesting for this movie to be so like old and bring up these type of this type of commentary Mm -hmm. so um I want to talk about one of the aspects that's like most famous in this movie is uh the mummy's makeup for for the time done by jack pierce who also did the makeup for frankenstein's monster and frankenstein um boris karloff which is basically his guinea pig at this point (laughs) (laughs) um his the makeup design was actually based and inspired by uh ramses the third like an actual like egyptian pharaoh oh interesting super great um it, it it was pretty much like uh like they he would just like Karloff would spend his days like shooting them like his mummy scenes but like the makeup would take like so long that like Jack Pierce would begin transforming Karloff at 11 a.m. and it says right here he would begin at 11 a.m. applying cotton collodion and spirit gum to his face clay to his hair and wrapping him in linen badges treated with acid and burnt in an oven and finished applying the makeup at 7 p.m. Oh my and then, gosh. And then Karloff would start filming his scenes as the mummy and finish at 2 a.m. And then another two hours were spent removing the makeup. <gasps> mm-hmm. So Karloff. is this one of the earliest points of this type of dramatic makeup in movies? I would say this is like the paradigm shift where it got to be like serious, serious makeup. Because you had like legends before in the 1920s, like Lon Chaney, obviously, who played the Phantom of the Opera, like applying Mm -hmm. that makeup himself. But Jack Pierce was really like pushing like the art of makeup into like this whole other realm. Gotcha. That's so interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, Karloff said he found the removal of gum from his face painful and overall found the day, quote, the most trying ordeal I had ever endured. Although the images of Karloff wrapped in bandages are the most iconic taken from the film, Karloff appears on screen in this makeup for only the opening vignette. The rest <laughs> of the film, he's wearing obviously the less elaborate makeup. So that's interesting too, that like all the images you see of this movie, it's always Karloff like wrapped in like bandages, like mm-hmm. kind of with like that, that typical mummy look, but actually like a lot of the time he's running around this movie, like completely uh, like unwrapped. Um, was that like a surprise to you? Like, were you disappointed with that look or was yeah. it just like a nice surprise? I thought it was a nice surprise that he had, you know, personality and that he was this like living, breathing, talking, being um, with a brain and stuff like that. It was just it was interesting because it's just such a different take with, you know, with with Dracula and um, Frankenstein being kind of one beat. So. Mm-hmm. It was very surprising to see him walk in that room and just be talking to those guys. And you're like, they're literally talking to a mummy right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's 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 pretty great Um, that like he just like comes back to life and just starts moseying around um, doing his typical like like evil fare. Um, yeah. Is he evil, though? 
Or is he just in love? See, this is one of the movies I wanted to cover because it brings up an interesting idea of like the horror romance, like subgenre. Yeah, I see that. Um, I don't know. Like, what did he ever do that was ever so bad? Like, like theoretically, he was doing it because he was just looking for like his lost love. Um, mm-hmm. In a way, unlike Dracula and unlike Dracula and more like Frankenstein's monster, the mummy seems like an almost tragic character. Yeah. Yeah. He has no real other motive to kill anybody. You know, he can, mm-hmm. he harms people who get in his way. Mm-hmm. He's got to do what he has to do. Yeah, definitely. Um, I always love, I always love like readings like that on this movie. Cause like everyone's like, Oh, the mummy, like it's like this vicious monster. And it's like, is it though yeah and he kind of has a right to after they dug up his grave and all you know (laughs) you're like the motherfuckers deserve that (laughs) yeah like mm. (laughs) yeah no it's it's pretty it's pretty uh it's pretty good um it says right here the mummy has been decried for othering eastern culture especially portraying it as being more primitive and superstitious than western culture in one Eve, Helen longs for real classical Egypt, despairingly that she is in contemporary Islamic Egypt. This is viewed by critic Caroline T. Schroeder as a slight against Islamic culture at the time. Oh, I didn't That's, realize that. Mm-hmm, the way she longs for like the ancient Egyptian times. Yeah, yeah. With, with like the pharaohs and whatnot. That's a very interesting reading on that movie. And I feel like could like could have like it, it probably did have a major impact on the way that like western culture views like the middle east and egypt and all that today yeah which is you know always which has been a huge problem in media i mean we just had wonder woman 2 that was <laughs> you know awful towards <laughs> is it arab people yeah <laughs> and so I, yeah i don't know i didn't realize that i i thought they were trying to comment on like the british invasion of mm-hmm. egypt and like their because like um didn't they co- colonize them back then uh yeah the united kingdom uh, colonized uh india hong kong mul- multiple areas throughout the world around this era um so they were just going around just putting their foot down going like this is our area now yeah and, and i do feel like that 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 could be a commentary on this, especially like that's how they discovered Tunicotum's tomb in 1922. Is why like their invasion and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. L- let me bring up some info about that. Uh, this is so funny. I haven't heard of this, these names since I was like little in elementary school. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, do you remember that learning about mummies in elementary school? Yeah, and it's always interesting the way that's, like, worded. It's like, oh, look at this neat thing they found, rather than, like, oh, these people went into this land that wasn't theirs, dug up shit, and claimed property. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, think about how kind of dark it is. Like, Tutankhamun's sarcophagus is, like, his resting place. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, in a museum now. That's like, awful. Yeah, like, that's somebody who's who's dead in there. Mm-hmm. Like, imagine, like, if you were dead and buried and somebody came Somebody dug just, you up. Yeah, somebody dug you up and it's like, <laughs> oh, oh, fuck it. Put it on display. It's made of gold. That's so awful. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it says the 1922 discovery of Tutankhamun's nearly intact tomb by Howard Carter in excavations funded by Lord Car- Carnivon. Uh, he was a lord in England, received worldwide press coverage with over 5,000 artifacts. It sparked a renewed public e- interest in ancient Egypt, for which Tutankhamun's mask is now in the Egyptian Museum. The deaths of a few involved in the discovery of Tutankhamun's mummy has been popularly attributed to the curse of the pharaohs. He has since the, since the discovery of this intact tomb been referred to colloquially as King Tut. So it's it's pretty interesting. I'm gonna bring up a little bit of info. Sorry, I'm going down a rabbit hole of like yeah, real, no, uh, the real life like like parallels with this. I didn't uh, know this was ba- like kind of based on King Tut. I didn't know that. So that's uh, interesting to hear. So it says right here, for many years, rumors of the curse of the pharaohs persisted, emphasizing the early death of some of those who had entered the tomb. The most prominent prominent was George Herbert, 5th Earl of Carnarvon, who died on April 5th, 1923, five months after the discovery of the first step leading down to the tomb on November 4th, 1922. The cause of his death was pneumonia supervening on facial... Whoa, it says it's an infection of the skin and underlying soft tissue... The Earl had been in an automobile accident in 1901, making him very unhealthy and frail. His doctor recommended a warmer climate. So in 1903, the Carnivons traveled to Egypt, where the Earl had become interested in Egyptology. Along with the stresses of the excavation, he was already in a weakened state when an infection led to pneumonia. A study showed that 58 people who were present when the tomb and sarcophagus were opened, only eight died within a dozen years. Howard Carter died of lymphoma in 1939 at the age of 64. And the last survivors included Evelyn Herbert, Lord Cavanaugh's daughter, who was among the first people to enter the tomb after its discovery, who lived for a further 57 years and died in 1980. Oh my gosh. That's insane. Yeah. So obviously, like, it's just like unfortunate, like, circumstances. But uh, at the time, the newspapers sensationalized this. There was this like superstition running around. It was like, oh, it's a curse. You guys shouldn't have dug that up. I mean, mean, they're not wrong, but yeah. yeah. (laughs) They're not wrong. They shouldn't have dug that shit up. That is um, so. Wow. But it it, that also leads into like, oh, this very superstitious culture of like it's portraying the Middle East as like this very superstitious culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is, you know, maybe not representative of them. Like Mm That's yeah, that's a valid critique. I wish we had, you know, somebody Egyptian today to talk with us about this. Mm-hmm. Um, Agreed. Is so is the is the Brendan Fraser run? Does that like represent <laughs> Egyptian people better? Or? I mean, one of the leads in it is is like Egyptian. Um, oh, okay, that's good. Um, but I, I, I don't think I'm at a place to, to, st- to say, um, yeah. so, so pivoting from that into the legacy that this movie leads, oddly enough, this is one of the few universal horror movies of like their classic monsters that had no official sequels. Oh, really? Yeah. Unlike Dracula and Frankenstein, the mummy had no official sequels and was instead rebooted with the mummy's hand, which had a series of sequels. So uh, the, it's a reboot and not a sequel. And so not a sequel. Different characters, different story. N- different mummy, different everything. Mm. Um, the character of Emotep didn't come back until the 1999 Brendan Fraser reboot. 
Mm, that's interesting. So, so theoretically, the next Mummy movie was Is, the 1999 film. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. But this was so sequelable. I want to know what happens to Frank and Helen. I I think I think at the at this point Karloff was becoming such a sensation in like the horror acting world that he just got too busy with other movies. Um, like let me let me bring up what he did around this time. So right after doing Frankenstein, he went on to do. My God, this man did so many movies. <laughs> After the Mummy, he did The Ghoul, The Black Cat, Bride of Frankenstein, The Raven, just so many just other like horror movies that I I don't think they were able to get Karloff back in, in like the Mummy raps. Makes sense. Makes sense. So that was a rap on him yeah. playing the Mummy. Which kind of, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which kind of shows how, you know, how niche horror was back then. That they only had this one... Um, well, amazing actor to fall back on you know like of course well, well they had they had multiples but Karloff was like the name at the time I understand um, that but I feel like I feel like I don't know it, it does go to show that maybe this genre it was a little bit harder to to expand at the time mm-hmm no, yeah, this was the early days of it getting mm-hmm. more popular. Yeah, because, you know, there's like, you know, there's like 10 screwball comedy actors and actresses you could think of. There's like, you know, a bunch of film noir, you know, leading actors you can think of. Um, mm-hmm. And then horror has, you know, a couple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, oh, yeah, that's an interesting read on that. I, yeah. I dig that. Um, I want to give a quick shout out to uh, the opening theme of this movie. Oh my gosh, our song, Swan Lake. Yeah, it's like uh, Universal realized it was like public domain and they were like, just throw that on everything. It's we don't need a score. <laughs> That's so interesting though, because you would never see that on a movie today of like them using the same song twice like that. Mm-hmm. Well, if you notice uh, Dracula and the Mummy, they don't really have scores. Like they're like there's no music in them aside from the opening like Swan Lake. I didn't catch that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Trust me, every time you watch them now, that's all y'all think about. You're like, fuck, there's, there's no, no music. music. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny because in the silent era, they had like full orchestras, you know, live orchestras well, playing. <laughs> I mean, that's all they that's all they needed. Yeah, <laughs> that's all they had. They were like, we're tired of music now. Now that we have people talking, we do yeah, not we're, music. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna outlaw music. <laughs> oh my god. So, I do give credit for this movie for giving us the Brendan Fraser mummy, which in turn gave us the Mummy Returns, the sequel, which had The Rock as the Scorpion King. Which in turn gave us The Rock as an actor. Oh, I did not know that. <laughs> oh, yeah. The Mummy Returns with Brendan Fraser was The Rock's first movie. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh, my gosh. So next time you see The Rock like in a Fast and Furious movie, just know that it's probably because the 1932 Mummy got rebooted in 1999. That That's why he's around as an actor. Yeah, I mean, 
God, that guy is in every single blockbuster. What blockbuster is he not in? He is almost coming full circle because they're going. He's almost like going back to the whole Egyptian theme movie with uh, Black Adam. Oh, I don't know what Black. I heard about that. I don't know what that is. It's basically the main villain is Shazam. It's it's very uh, Egyptian based. So is it DC? Yeah, DC. Oh, so is Shazam? Is it going to be about like Shazam stuff? Uh, it basically is his own like origin movie to set him up as the villain in a future Shazam movie. Gotcha. Okay, that's so interesting. DC is so like unorganized and random with this they're like release stuff like <laughs> they swing through the fences but i fucking love it <laughs> uh, okay i'll look out um, for it i have no idea what's going on over there like when i saw the black adam thing i was like what i don't know what's going on where, where what is where's gambit i don't know <laughs> i feel i feel like we're deviating a little t- bit too much so I'm sorry just, no 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 we're good we're just gonna segue it back um any closing comments on the 1932 mummy with boris karloff uh i don't know i'm excited to see the other mummies because i this is the first mummy i saw i guess i liked it so we, we have four more i believe four more four more not not counting the brendan fraser ones what there's that many more sequels of the reboot that's interesting i'll be Uh, excited to see if it's as good as the original then i guess you'll have to find out huh (laughs) i know isn't the isn't the reboot in like the 50 like the 50s or something so the reboot i'm using with quotations was in the mummy's hand in 1940 which stars lon cheney jr as the mummy okay so it's not too far off okay well we'll see (laughs) we'll see um that just leads us to yeah, it's, it's, it's good to kick off this uh, Universal Classic Monster series that we're doing this summer with this with this particular entry. Um, yeah, I feel like this was a good one to start with uh, a lot of interesting conversation around it. I'm excited to see more because this was a yeah, it was a great one to start off with. I wasn't expecting to like it as much as I did, and I really loved it. Mm-hmm. So um Thank you all for tuning in. Once again, thank you to Super Yaki for sponsoring us. As always, we love you guys. Um, Coming up, lots of exciting stuff, huh, Kyla? Yeah, I'm excited. (laughs) Uh, I'm just going to say it outright. Our next episode, we're going to be doing a collaboration with a fellow Super Yaki podcast, uh, the Queer Quadrant podcast. Yay! Yeah, that should be a lot of fun. They're coming on next soon i don't want to say next week i feel like i'm getting my days mixed up <laughs> soon soon uh, they're, we'll be talking. They're, they're coming on soon and we're going to be discussing the little shop of horrors musical i'm so excited i do know that one i have i used to watch that one yeah so basically for this universal classic monster series we're just gonna like do like our main series but occasionally we're gonna have special episodes peppered in for you guys yeah I'm it's excited. gonna be a lot of fun mm-hmm. um so Kyla, where can everyone find you? Kyla K A I L A underscore Ren on Twitter, and all my links are in my bio. What about you, Raina? 
You can find me at JFC Doomblade on Twitter and Instagram. You can also find my work being published pretty regularly at ScreenQueens.com and BloodyDisgusting.com. You can also find the podcast at Horror In Session. Be sure to look us up on Apple Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts. Please leave a five-star review. That gets us so much good exposure, and we'll love you eternal for it. (laughs) Um, So until next week or the week after, I don't really know. We'll see you guys then. Thanks for listening.